let us go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Uh, for those of you who didn't yet get a chance to type into the comments or to give us your prayer request this morning, it is not too late. We will continue to lift you up throughout this week. Um, this is such an important part of our Christian life, of our walk, um, and of the life of this congregation that we get to support and pray for one another. So let us pray this morning. God, we come before you this morning grateful for the fact that we can come to you directly, that we uh, don't have to go through an intermediary, that we get to come before you with the confidence of your children, knowing that we are heard, that you care about every aspect of our lives. So God, we lift up uh, the stock pot this morning. We pray for uh, generosity, for people to be radically, radically generous in their giving this year so that we may fill those pantry shelves, God, so that uh, others would not know hunger. God, help us to feed our community. God, we lift up uh, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. We lift up uh, our brothers and sisters in white who are residents there. We lift up uh, those who work for TDCJ, those who um, every day uh, put themselves in a dangerous situation to keep our community safe. God, we, we pray that they would be protected and that they would have a safe and wonderful work environment, God. God, we lift up Brandon's family. We don't know the situation, God, but you do, God. So we pray that you would intercede there, that they would know your love, that they would know your healing touch, um, that there would be restoration, that there would be healing, and there would be wholeness there. God, we lift up Sandra and her pancreatic cancer this morning. And for all of those who suffer from cancer, God, we pray that you would uh, just reach into their lives, bring your healing holy hands into their care, into their treatment, um, into the hands in the, of the, the physicians, of the, the nurses, and the uh, uh, support staff, God, that are treating them, God, that you would bring a touch of healing into their lives. And God, it seems uh, that there are so many this week that we are praying for who have suffered from a stroke. We pray for Ron and Laura's son-in-law, Charlie. We pray for Jason's grandmother, Mildred. And we pray for John Hafner this morning, all of whom had a stroke this week. Um, God, we know how debilitating that can be. Um, we know that the recovery process can be long and arduous. So we just pray that you would bring strength, that you would bring healing, that you would bring health and wellness and restoration back into their bodies, God, as they go through the rehab, as they relearn how to do the things that were lost, God, as you restore to them uh, that which has been taken away, God, we pray that there would be completeness there, that there would be wholeness there, um, and that there would be just a restoration in time for Christmas, in time for them to do all that you have called them to do, uh, in time for them to have a wonderful, blessed Christmas season, God. And in all of these things, uh, those prayer requests which were given to us and those which we hold close to our hearts, God, we know that you hear them. We know that you care about every single hurt, every single worry. God, help us to hand them all over to you this morning. Help us to leave them in your capable hand. Help us to trust you in the hard times. Help us to lean on you when it is beyond our power, God. Grant us that peace that surpasses all understanding. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now I invite uh, the children to come forward uh, for a message prepared just for them.
You know it's a good children's sermon when I draw a lighter to start it. I think I've learned how to work this one since last week. So, okay, pop quiz for those of you who were with me last week, um, except the one who was in last service, you don't get to answer. Um, What is this? Do y'all remember? It's candles. Okay, it is candles. What do you got? Do you remember? It is an Advent wreath. Okay? And so each Sunday on the lead up to Christmas Eve, on the lead up to the day we celebrate Jesus' birth, we light one of these candles to understand that we are on a journey uh, towards the birth of Christ. And so last week, we lit the first candle which is the candle of hope, because Jesus coming into the world means there is hope for all of us. Now I want to ask y'all, I'm going to ask y'all a personal question. Um, you, you can be as honest as you want, okay? Raise your hand if you have ever been in a fight. If you have ever, I appreciate your honesty, I have to raise my hand. I have also been in a fight. Does it ever feel, it doesn't ever feel good when you're in a fight, right? Never does. Whether you win it, or as I often did, where you lose it, um, you get in trouble, you know you've hurt someone else, it's just not a good place to be. What we should be doing instead, why fighting feels bad, is because we're supposed to be working for peace, not for fighting. We're supposed to be working like Jesus did, to bring peace into the world, because we follow what Jesus wants us to do in the world. And so that is why. On the second Sunday of Advent. On the, on the second Sunday in after Christ's birth, we light a candle of peace. Because Christ is our Prince of Peace. And Christ calls us to live like that. To bring peace. To be a part of God bringing peace into the world. So you guys pray with me? Okay, take hands like this. Put them together. Put them in your lap. Back heads. Close your eyes. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to spread peace like Jesus did. In Jesus' holy name, we pray. Amen. Good job, friends. Y'all can go back to your seats. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the first chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, verses 68 through 79. It is the song of Zechariah. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who spoke, who has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that he that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death 
to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, turns out that human beings spend between two and three years of their lives standing in line. You lose two to three years of your life standing in line at the grocery store, standing in line at the post office, standing in line at Disney World, like I used to do, standing in line to buy an iPhone. It was a problem. I've repented of it. That phase is over. Once spent 14 hours trying to buy an iPhone 4. That is near religious devotion to a thing that might not have deserved it. So I have probably lost more than two years of my life uh, just standing in line. But the average human loses between two and three years of their lives merely standing in line. If you take an average human lifetime being somewhere between 80 and 90 years, you're losing something like 2% of your life just to standing in line. So it turns out there is an entire science behind making lines more tolerable for you because everybody hates standing in line. But companies want you to not hate standing in line so that you won't abandon your cart on Black Friday and go home, that you will stay in the Thunderdome and buy the television that they want you to buy. So it turns out there are four things that the science of queuing, the literal science of standing in line is called queuing, the science of queuing realized four things. And the first thing they realized is you don't actually hate long wait times, you hate all the other parts of the experience. If they trick your brain, you're perfectly fine to stand in a long line as long as you are somehow distracted. That people, how you experience the wait has nothing to do with how long the actual wait is, but has everything to do with how utterly miserable you are while waiting. And that led them to the three key discoveries of how to make people not hate staying in line. And the first thing is the thing that Disney World and grocery stores are experts at, and that is distracting you, to give you something else to pay attention. This is, I think, from It's a Small World, right? And so when you're on a Disney line, there's like a talking Mr. Potato Head or like a beautiful scene from Peter Pan or small terrifying puppets singing at you or whatever. And in a grocery store, that's why all the tabloids are in the grocery store line. You ever looked at that and go, no one buys though them? Why are they here? Because the grocery store wants to distract you with 16 kinds of gum and the fact that Tom Cruise had a space baby. And you're standing there reading that Tom Cruise had a space baby, and you're not paying attention to the fact that the person in the cart in front of you has 250 items all paid for with coupons, right? Because you are reading the National Enquirer. You would never buy it and certainly never admit to it. But you're standing there reading about the space baby um, and how, you know, the Queen of England secretly has three heads and whatever, right? You're reading those rather than paying attention to the fact that you are in a miserable line with a couponer. Second thing they realized is if they lie to you and tell you the line will be longer than it actually is, you think you've gained back time. This is the thing that restaurants in Disney World pull all day long. When you're at a theme park and it says 60-minute wait, it's not going to be a 60-minute wait. It's going to be a 45-minute wait. But they're going to tell you 60 minutes so that 45 minutes later, you feel like you've gained back 15 minutes. No, they just lied to you up front. Same thing with restaurants. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a 30-minute wait. And 20 minutes later, you're seated and you think, oh, man, I gained back 10 minutes. No, having worked in restaurants, we've just lied to you so that you won't leave. 
we're always going to give you a conservative estimate so that we can beat your expectations. Because people hate undefined weights. They are okay with defined weights, especially if it is slightly shorter than what they're told it's going to be. Um, and finally, and this is the thing that everyone knows, is we like lines to be fair. This is what's the unfairness of lines is what sparks fights on Black Friday, right? That someone in another line got the thing, even though you've been waiting in this line, and then you charge your card at them, and they charge your card at you, and someone draws a spear, and someone puts on a bike helmet, and next thing we know, it's a Mad Max movie. We hate unfair lines. So if lines are fair, if you are distracted, and that the weight is defined, People will wait a heck of a lot longer than if they are utterly bored or can't take their mind off the weight, have no idea when the weight will end, or if the weight is unfair. Now, in the world of Disneyland and the grocery store, where your reality is controlled, the companies can shape that experience and give you the line-waiting environment of your dreams. I actively dream of my next trip to Disney World where I will spend 75% of the time in line. I think of it as the best vacation I ever had. It's also my honeymoon, so give me a break. But it was the best vacation I ever had. But in real life, for the real things we wait on in life, for the hard things that we wait on in life, you have no idea when that wait is going to end, right? When you're in a season of hurt, or wait, or longing, or you've been given this promise and you don't know how far off it is, you don't know how far off it is. And so you're not distracted by, oh, it's only going to be 60 minutes, or three months, or two years. You have no idea. And so you're just like, how long is it going to take? How long is it going to take? How long is it going to take? Over and over and over again. You can't escape that cycle. You may be hurting too bad, or the pain you're carrying may be too much, such that nothing's going to distract you from it, right? Um, if your leg is broken, your leg is broken. And until that gets fixed, all you're going to think about is the fact that your leg is broken, or that your life is miserable, or that you can't break this cycle of addiction, or whatever it is. And often, often, the weight is unfair. All the people around you are getting the things that you thought you were promised, and you're still waiting. You know, the, you know, your sister who has all the children and you have none. The friends who get the jobs and you have none. The people who get the miraculous healing and you're still going to chemo three times a month. But often it's deeply unfair. And it turns out that our friend Zechariah, here in Luke chapter 1, is the poster child for real, what waiting is like in the real world. Zechariah... Uh, has, is not a young guy. He's not a spring chicken. Um, and as he will tell you, his wife is not a spring chicken either, but they have lived their entire life together, not having any kids. And this is in a world where like your value as a family, and certainly, unfortunately, your value as a woman was defined by having kids. And Zechariah, as a priest of the temple, would have been a public figure, and so he's in the public eye, and it would have been noted that, like, they didn't have kids. And it's not like they waited a few years. These two folks would have been waiting decades, praying for children. So the Bible keeps telling us Elizabeth is in her old age. Now, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but I, I'm not exactly going to define 
uh, how old was her old age, but she's probably 40-something. And that was her old age because she would have gotten married when she was 16 to Zechariah, who was like 20. And then flash forward 20 years, and they still didn't have kids. And everyone was looking around at Elizabeth going, gosh, even her husband doesn't. Gosh, you're old. It's not my fault. I know. It's not my fault. They waited and waited and waited for decades. They had no idea when this wait was going to end. And all the family members around them were getting pregnant and having kids and having normal lives. And they waited and they prayed. And Zechariah is probably thinking, gosh, I'm really close to God. I'm a priest at the temple. And he, I, my prayers are going nowhere. And they waited and they waited and they waited until finally one day Zechariah is in the temple. He's at the height of his career. He's been picked to go in to the holy part of the temple to do an offering. This is a big deal. And there, poof appears an angel of the Lord saying, guess what, Zechariah? Prayer answered, buddy. You're going to have a kid. Or Elizabeth's going to have the kid. She's very old, but she's going to have a kid. The angel says that, not my fault. She's very old, but she's still going to have a kid. All the waiting's happening. This kid's the, like, servant of the Lord. He's going to be the new Elijah. Fantastic, right? And Zechariah said, cool, I'm so happy. Praise God, right? No, not exactly. I'll read for you what he actually says in verse, seven, verse 18 um, of Luke uh, chapter 1. It is uh, far from a satisfying response. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. He said it, not me. He's lost faith that this can happen. He's standing in the Holy of Holies before the presence of God. An angel of the Lord has appeared before him. And he's lost hope that this is possible at all. Because his wait has been undefined and going on for decades. Because the wait has been unfair. The heck of a lot of other people had kids around him. And nothing could have distracted him. Even there in the temple that day, he was praying about having a kid. So he wavers. The pain of the waiting causes him to waver in his faith. And so the angel strikes him dumb for nine months, which is probably also a blessing to Elizabeth, because then Zechariah, throughout her entire pregnancy, couldn't say anything. Joy. And on the other side, of that waiting. Nine months later, John is born. He's written down, you're going to name him John, as the angel instructed. What, what I read this morning in Luke chapter 1, what gets called Zechariah's song, is his first words since being struck dumb there in the temple. And they are words that say, I finally understand what you're doing with me, God. I finally understand why I waited that long. I finally understand that I was supposed to be a part of bringing this special child into the world. But he doesn't start talking about John. He starts talking about Jesus. 
because he realizes this bigger picture of why all those things happened. Um, and it is verses 69 through 72. He has raised up a mighty savior for us in the house of, of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all those who hate us. Thus, he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant. He sees that God is working in him to fulfill this grand promise that, that they had been waiting on for hundreds of years. That just as Zechariah had waited for his child, so Israel had waited for centuries for them to no longer be ruled by crazy foreign rulers, that instead they could have, as it was meant to be, the house of David ruling over God's people forever. And Zechariah sees his part in that story, that part of the pain of waiting was so that he could be a part of that story. And that's why he leaps to John. In verse 76, he starts talking and prophesying over his own son, seeing what his son's role will be as well. Keep turning the page. It's still on the other page. Read that last service too. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. The waiting had been decades. It had been extremely hard. But if John had been born 20 years earlier, he wouldn't have been able to prepare the way for Christ because their ministries would have been connected. John needed to be born when he was born because Jesus was going to be born when he was born. And those two events are connected. Those two men were meant to be connected, the Elijah and the Savior. But if they had had a kid when Elizabeth and Zechariah first got together, Mary, who is right now in the story would not have been born yet and so there would have been too long between john and jesus and so john wouldn't have been an effective herald of christ and so the weight had a purpose and here zechariah gets it only in retrospect and that weight is often mysterious and here zechariah grasps that purpose and understands that god did keep that promise even if that promise took way too long for Zechariah's liking. That he could be a part of this grander story of God and that God was using him to be a part of the salvation and transformation of the world. But that doesn't change the fact that for a lot of us, the waiting for whatever it is in our lives that we think we've been promised, know in our hearts have been promised by God or are hoping to get from God or to hoping to have fixed or to hoping to have set right and the waiting and the waiting and the waiting. There's no denying that those waited for promises involve a lot of pain that you can't be distracted from, a lot of pain that lasts for an undefined amount of time and a lot of pain that feels deeply unfair, AKA the three things that make humans hate waiting. We hate waiting. We hate the waiting because the waiting hurts. We hate the waiting because the waiting is all we can see. We hate the waiting because we watch all these other people getting all of their problems set right. And you look around and go, what about me, God? 
book of Exodus opens with, how long, O Lord, are you going to treat me like this? And how many of us have been in that place as the waiting went on too long, when we looked at the sky and went, how long, O Lord? I have no definite end state. All of my friends are getting, getting help, and you're not helping me. And man, it hurts. It's all I can see. You find yourself often, I think, in that place where we want to go, what's up, God? Or maybe our faith wavers a little bit, as it does for Zechariah. I can certainly confess to that in my own life. And the answer to this is that Christ is Lord. These things happen the way they do because he is Lord. And that means there's going to be an element of mystery to this, of why these things happen, as it was a mystery to Zechariah until after he, after he knew the kid was coming and he was mute for nine months. There's a mystery to it. We don't always know God's logic and God's reasoning. We don't always know how all the pieces are going to fit together, and we may never know, right? Maybe we'll get that moment where we can look back um, as Zechariah does and go, blessed be us all, blessed be me, blessed be you, kids. Maybe not. But in it all, maybe mysterious how it works, but God is Lord. But the other part of it is, is that God is Lord of all. And that means that if anyone can set right what is currently wrong, it is God. And for some of the problems we face, it is God alone. That in God and God alone is the power to make all things right, is in your life and in the world. We may not always know how God is working, but we can always know that God is powerful. God can set it right. And God is there with you in your life. That's the thing that Zechariah sees. That he is Lord. Lord had the opportunity last night to witness something miraculous. Went to the Rock Bottom Ranch, an organization we support. Uh, your sister Tesney is with us. Um, it was their graduation, and I got to watch three ladies uh, graduate from this year-long treatment program that they have been in um, for substance abuse and to help them find Christ and let Christ fill their life and thus help break the cycle of addiction which is one of the hardest things to do in the human body because the human body becomes so dependent on those substances, mind and body, that breaking those chains is next to impossible. And yet I watched three women give testimonies of how God had broken those chains at last. For some of them, those chains have been their lives for decades, healing them and healing families. And I heard in their stories, a lot of them wondering why it took so long but I also heard in those stories that God did break those chains because Christ is Lord and Lord of all. So even as we hate that waiting and even as we may never understand it, we know in God there is the power to break all of those chains. Whatever is going on in us, whatever is going on in the world, may we see as Zechariah saw that we are being redeemed by Christ's power all the time. 
invite you now to grab the hands of the people around you, form one united body in Christ from the power of God's spirit that is what we are. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. God is the almighty Lord of the universe. May we commend our souls to God's care. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.